As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. I am Taylor Rockwell, and on today's episode, I'm going to be talking to Aaron Dolores, the founder of Black Arrow FC. It is a great conversation, as always, and we cover a lot of ground. But before we get to Aaron, we've had a lot of people requesting updates about Daryl Grove. If you're new to the Total Soccer Show, Daryl and I started TSS in 2009. He kept it going when I was abroad for two years, and we've been doing the show together five times a week since 2016 or thereabouts. Daryl has been dealing with a stage four colon to liver cancer diagnosis since January of 2019. He recently learned that the clinical trial he'd been involved in in Boston was no longer effective. Since then, he's been exploring new trial options. That remains the case. However, he's been in and out of the hospital lately. He is there now. I think will be for the foreseeable future. And to be totally honest, I have not really been able to talk to him very much. He's using all of his strength to stay strong and positive. The last update I got about 10 minutes before I recorded this was from his wife, Shannon, that he was happily surveying his food menu uh, after a successful procedure. I think he had not been able to eat in order to do that procedure. So now he can, and food is always good. I would like to be able to tell you all something more concrete, certainly something much more positive, but that's about all the news I can provide at present. Hopefully, Daryl will be able to update you all himself sometime soon. But for now, I just ask for your support for him, patience with the show, as we keep going as best we can. I know there are plenty of you out there who would much prefer to hear his voice over mine, and trust me, I'm with you. For now, though, please do feel free to send any positive words you'd like to Daryl at TotalSoccerShow.com. As I said before, he might not respond, but kind words certainly cannot hurt. But one last thing I would like to add and really stress, it is not time to panic. You do not need to panic. I promise that we will communicate in some way if things do take a turn. We don't want people to be blindsided. Uh, But for now, don't panic. Breathe easy. Daryl is doing the same. uh, And hopefully we'll be back to talk to you all sometime in the near future. But for now, I'm aware that this is not the most optimistic or energetic way to begin the podcast. So we're going to take a quick break. And then when you next hear me talking, it will be with Aaron Dolores. With me now is Aaron Dolores, the founder of Black Arrow FC. Aaron, good to have you back on the show. It's awesome to be back. And I really appreciate the opportunity. This is the 
first podcast to give me my first break in the podcast world about two years ago. And so um, I always owe a big um, a big gratitude to you and Daryl. And I'm going to say this every single time that you invite me on because I learned so much about the game from um, the two of you guys and coming from outside of the soccer world and starting Black Arrow and needing to really catch up to speed on the sport. Um, you know, I'm watching these guys on ESPN just complaining about stuff and not able to learn anything from that. And when I found your podcast, it really gave me more of the like perspective that I needed to be able to like really understand the game, you know, both um, tactically and, and culturally. All right. Well, so. I think that's the end of the interview. That's all I needed <laughs> to know. I think we're good, man. That's really kind of you to say. I, I didn't realize it was two years ago. No, I mean, it, it, it's important to me because a lot of the things that like the perspectives that I have on the sport, I can, um, you know, draw back to some of the things that I've learned on the podcast from you guys. Just simple things about, hey, if I'm going to talk about a team that I like, you know, you talking about Manchester United, you always say, well, I'm, you know, here's how I feel, but here's how other people could look at it. And I think that's, you know, when you have this global game, it's, it's very important that when people are giving their opinions or even giving facts that they're, um, you know, that they're clear about where they're coming from and that there's other point of views and perspectives, you know? Yeah, I do. And I, and I appreciate you saying that because that is a thing that I think Daryl and I have always like, kind of tried to, to embrace. Daryl is generally more successful than I am with it. But yeah, I think being able to say I'm wrong is, is an important one. And being able to accept that like there are other interpretations of things that could also be correct is probably a thing that's missing a lot when it comes to discourse in sports. So that's very kind of you to say. But I think you do the same sort of thing, which is why we always enjoy having you on the show appreciate it yeah, yeah all good Happy the mutual appreciation society uh, <laughs> i should i should clarify for people who maybe are new to the show or aren't as familiar with black arrow can you talk a little bit about what you all do the work you all do yeah so black arrow was founded wow almost like three years ago now um and it's a brand that is focused on the intersection of soccer and black culture so we're building a platform that's just dedicated to creating content and projects and events um, kind of just around this intersection and finding interesting and creative ways that we can bring to life um, this combination of soccer and black culture, which really can mean a lot of things when you have like, you know, the complexities of black culture in America, of black culture globally, and, and the complexities of soccer you know, it's like um, that. there's a lot of like different ways that this term black and soccer can be combined. So we try to create projects that, um, you know, touch on those different perspectives. So that could mean things as simple as um, making the sport a little bit cooler. Right. Um, it could mean things like bringing forward the history of um, black folks in the game, which is like a lot of those stories haven't been told um, and, you know, it could mean other things like kind of giving different um, analysis and perspective on, um, you know, the African diaspora and the role that that might be playing in U.S. soccer or international soccer. Um, so a lot of it is centered around just like storytelling. Um, and and frankly, also, a lot of it is centered around just doing whatever the hell we want. <laughs> like <laughs> I feel like that's always been an important thing for what wanted to contribute to the industry because i just wanted to come in and say hey 
like let me run with this for a little bit you know what i mean and let's let's have some fun and do things our way rather than kind of project this concept that hey you should you know come in and you should love manchester united and hate man city and you know like i think there's so much more to the game than just that and so i guess i would wrap that up by saying we really are trying to also like create a new black american soccer culture here and um so some of it is just starting from scratch actually when you're when you're looking at like the stories that do get covered the the sort of angles that do get presented are there things that you think i hope this question makes sense if not i can try to explain it a bit more but like are there stories that you think get overly covered get too much focus and then are there ones that you think there could be more that like they could that could be done with because like i think of like i'm recently and again recently forgive my ignorance but like only coming around to the idea that like like oftentimes in film, if you're telling the story of a black person, it is usually through the lens of like slavery or the civil rights movement. You don't get a lot of like just everyday stories, which is a thing that like people would like to see changed. I would too. I'm wondering if that also extends to the way we talk about soccer in this country. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's, it's a tricky thing for me because one on one end, being in the kind of business of black soccer, I've really tried to take on the work of like, how do I bring the game to the black community? How do I translate it? How do I get them to, how do I get us to like the game? Right. And when everything they're seeing on the news is about the racism in the game, it's, it's a little bit harder of a sell. Right. At the same time, these things are super important and they're things that cannot and should not be overlooked. So what I try to do is just like bring that balance. And I think um, to your question, yeah, there's a, a very um, kind of highlighting the role of black people in soccer in the U.S., for instance, is something that um, we haven't done enough in this country. When you want to ask the question of who was the first black player to play for the U.S. national team, who was the first black player to score a goal in the MLS, these are things that people don't really have answers to, Right. Um, and then you have, (laughs) you have a lot of guys that have, um, you know, played very important roles in, um, in growing the game, you know, the Josie Altidores and the Marisa Dews and the Kobe Jones and the DeMarcus Beasley's. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, these guys, in my opinion, are kind of like, you know, my heroes from, from the perspective of like Black Arrow. Right. And, um, I think, some of the like efforts and the things that they've done and that they went through, um, you know, sometimes can get um, overlooked. And that a lot of that has to do with winning and losing, right? So you have like the U.S. national team losing to Trinidad, you know, and not qualifying for the Olympics, right? So then they're like, all right, well, Josie Altidore, you're kind of out of the conversation now because we got to move on here to this new generation of like U.S. national team players, right? And so um, from my perspective, and when everyone's like, well, where's the LeBron of, you know, soccer, I'm thinking, like, obviously, he's not as good as LeBron is at basketball. But as far as like what he represents for, you know, the game, for his people, for Haitians, for people, you know, for black folks in Toronto and New Jersey, you know, he's he puts on for it, you know, as much as he can. And so, um, yeah, there's there's all of these different angles and lenses, the things that, you know, I think I might see that other people might not see. And that's not 
sometimes other people's job. That's why we create the platform to say, hey, you know, these are these are stories that are important to us that we want to pass on to other black folks. And um, yeah, I think there's a, a really big need for that on the on the Trinidad U.S. game. Like as a black person, I'm looking at that like, well, shit, good. Good job, Trinidad. You know what I mean? Like, who are these guys that played for this team, right? And what are their stories and how important of a moment was that for them and for the entire Caribbean islands, right? So that's a an example as you can take one game that is, you know, kind of put forward as this, like, you know, scar on American society. And as a black person, you can look at that and be like, wow, all these, like, half those guys were probably playing in the USL and, you know, in smaller teams in the MLS. Right. And so for them, they're like, Oh, this is dope. When, what, how old were you? Or like, what was the time period in which you first started getting into soccer? Yeah. So it was the 2014 Olympics. Um, I'm sorry, uh, world cup. World cup. Yeah. yeah. So me and some friends were going to go to Brazil actually just the party. So like, um, I used to throw a lot of parties, and so I've always had just like a list of like, okay, where are the best parties around the world every year, you know? And so I was always like, the World Cup would probably be fun. Um, we kind of determined that that would be a um, kind of a tourist trap, and so my friend who had been living in Costa Rica previously said, hey, when I was in Costa Rica during the World Cup, you didn't want to be anywhere else but in Costa Rica, and so. Um, we, we kind of envisioned this idea of like, what if we went to Europe and, you know, went around to different cities um, in time being in the cities when the, when they were having their um, World Cup matches. So we started in um, Croatia, which was the first game of the 2014 um, World Cup, Croatia versus Brazil. Um, and, you know, we're all decked out in these Croatia. Everywhere we went, we were, you know, rocking with the home, home team regardless. And you know, um, they show the game in this ancient coliseum right on the wa- water in this town called Pula in Croatia. And, you know, it's me and four of my, um, four of my black friends just in all these Croatia jerseys and, you know, 15,000 Croatians rolling into the stadium and they actually scored first um, against Brazil. So for me, that I guess was that was my aha moment of like as an American being like, oh, wow, this there's something much more to this sport than, you know, I've. I've I've known in the past um and then going on to Italy and watching games there going to Germany um watching games at Brandenburg Gate and kind of learning about um you know how the Germans you know that this was the first time the Germans felt like they could uh, you know sh- display their patriotic um you know nationalism without the world thinking they were going to take over and um, you know, going to Switzerland and kind of just seeing all these different pockets and, you know, naturally coming home and being like, all right, wow, this is the world's game. Like, wh- where are we at and what's our role, you know? And so in doing some research, um, you know, I started to kind of see that there was nothing happening, you know, between this combination of black and soccer and there were no platforms. And um, on the flip side, there was all these articles about, you know, how are we going to bring the game to the black community and how's the game going to get cool? You know, so I'm like, hey, I'll do I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think two things there. The first is that, like, I think one of my favorite things 
in talking with you, uh, talking with Aaron for listeners, um, is that like you kind of don't hide that. Like I think a lot of times when it comes to soccer fandom and people who get into soccer in this country, there is this idea, and I do this a lot, is like you don't want to be ignorant. You don't want to be in the wrong. You don't want to like not know that piece of thing. Who's that like Manchester United midfielder from 1987? Like I feel this need to know because that like cements my credentials as an American soccer fan. I really right. do appreciate that your approach is – pretty much the opposite of that. I feel like you're you're okay with not knowing stuff. You like learning stuff. And in embracing that, I feel like that kind of opens some doors because you're not standing on a platform of like, oh, I know everything. Ask me all the questions. You're trying to figure it out. And I feel like that makes it a bit more organic in the approach. Yeah, for sure. And I have to be able to communicate that th- those things back to like other people that don't know. Right. And so um, a lot of times you'll see in our content, we have to kind of explain certain things that, you know, maybe a traditional soccer platform might not have to explain. Um, And, you know, a a great example of that was um, we started filming this documentary in Kenya that brought me to Manchester United. And it's this story that this project's going to come out next year, I promise. But it's a story about me meeting this um, Kenyan, you know, legend from the 1950s who, you know, had been a Manchester United fan his entire life, but, you know, like a lot of guys in his time, had um, never got the opportunity to play abroad and also had never been off of the continent. And so he became a a fan because of the Munich Air disaster um, in 1958 when he read about it in the newspaper. And so um, I met him randomly and found out he was a Man U fan and, you know, with no money in the bank was like, what if I took this guy to a Man U game (laughs) Uh, for the first time and filmed a documentary? Um, So anyways, um, you know, I was in, we ended up reaching out to Manchester United and they invited us in. We went to, brought him to his first match, brought him to the, um, to the ceremony that they did around the Munich air disaster. And, um, the guy that brought me in there was, you know, said, Oh, look, that's David Beckham's dad. And I'm like, what what is David Beckham's dad do, doing here? <laughs> I didn't even know David Beckham had played for Manchester United. You know what I mean? Um, and so, it, yeah, I think it's like I lean into those mm-hmm. moments because um, I get to tell these stories to black people for the first mm-hmm. time. So they're not. it's not an embarrassing thing to me. I'm not embarrassed that I actually played soccer when I, um, you know, grew up. But um you know, I didn't know anything about yeah. it. And so, yeah, I think it's I think it's a great thing to be able to, t- you know, tell those stories and lean into them a little bit. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's again, I think there's like a, a hesitancy to ever say, I don't know. Uh, I think I struggle with that sometimes. So I think anytime you sort of can approach it from that perspective, it does probably right. allow you to learn more. I'm assuming you then and that's ha- kind of a soccer thing. right? That's kind of like a soccer hipster thing, too, that I picked up on. Right. Yeah. So so very early, I was like, well, this isn't going to fly because for black folks, like we want to feel comfortable when we're trying to explore something that's, you know, not natural to us or we're not hip to, you know what I mean? And so um, I kind of like take those shots for, you know, the people that I'm that I'm trying to reach because I think that mentality is going to keep people out of the game, you know, like, oh, you idiot, you don't know what offsides is like, come on, you know. 
<laughs> I think <laughs> I think most of my family has a tenuous grasp on what offsides is, including <laughs> the people who played soccer their whole lives. So I think you're not alone in that one. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, the new offside rules don't help with that either. Uh, like looking at the national team for a second, though, when you first came back, who mm-hmm. like you mentioned Josie earlier, was he one of the players that you sort of fe- felt yourself gravitating towards that you felt like he was a, a particularly interesting person in that national team? And then... Second part of that would be for the current generation, who are those players now that you look to as being interesting, that you want to tell their stories, you want to kind of interact with them, see what they're all about, uh, see what stories there are to be told? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think Josie for me is like, even when I was watching, you know, when I'd watched the U.S. national team before I was into the game, he's the guy that kind of, I hate to like reduce it to this, but kind of passes the CNI test of like, okay, this guy looks like he comes from where I come from, right? The way he handles himself, the way he carries himself, he kind of has this, um, you know, this this kind of leadership approach that I think you you see a lot in the um, in in the NBA, you know. And I actually I also think that that's kind of um, an important dynamic as far as um, soccer is concerned because more and more I've been kind of noticing like when you think of if you're in the NBA and you're the best player on the team, the expectation is that you're also going to be the leader. You're the leader in the locker room. You're the leader in the team. You you, you got to run everything if you are the best player. And um, one thing that I've found really interesting about soccer, especially with a lot of the European players, is that that's not always the case. Sometimes some of the best players, you know, on their teams and in the worlds are not your traditional LeBron James leaders, you know, you have Messi, who's kind of an introverted guy, you have Sadio Mane, you have Mo Salah, you know, these guys aren't the ones that are necessarily, um, you know, kind of puffing their chest. So yeah, um, you know, back to Josie Altidore, I think um, he, he definitely stood out to me and more recently being able to like have conversations with him and kind of connect with him and talk to him about, you know, his, his experience in, in, you know, soccer and, um, you know, I, I think it's I think it's important right now with we as a country, if we're going to kind of as we move forward to this new generation, that we make sure that he has his kind of, you know, seat in, you know, in, in the in the allure of this game. You know, we got to put him in the in the Raptors, if you will. How do you think to interject for a minute? How do you think from your conversations he views American soccer fans? Because to your earlier point, when Cuba happens, uh, U.S. fails to qualify for the World Cup. It seems like a ton of blame gets placed on Michael Bradley. A ton of blame gets placed on Josie Altador. And I I don't think that that was justified. I don't think blaming right. those two players for everything was the right way to go. And it seems like he still has a, in my mind, a somewhat contentious relationship with both American soccer media to some extent and to American soccer fandom to some extent. I'm wondering if, if you've picked up on any of that or if you got a sense of how he feels about his perception in U.S. soccer. Yeah, for sure. I've definitely picked up on it. You know, to me, it's um, it's completely incorrect. If it, it, I can't speak for him, but I think if you were to ask him, he would kind of say, "That's my job as the leader on this team to, you know, kind of take the the hits for my for my squad." You know, and I and and I truly, honestly believe that him as a leader does he doesn't feel sorry for himself. I think he's, um, you know probably conceded the fact that hey this is part of the game this is part of um you know 
what what happens specifically in soccer and you know i think he's probably thinking hopefully one day you know we'll kind of get the opportunity to rewrite that narrative of mine so we're not just kind of you know seeing everything through the lens of not qualifying for that um you know for that for the world cup um and yeah i mean it's it's kind of like when I guess when you're when you're black, it's like some of those things just frankly don't matter as much. Like, you know, honestly, like losing um, for the U.S. national team for a black man in this country is not the worst thing you could do to us. You know what I mean? Um, and that doesn't mean that we don't root for this country, but it's it's just also not something that we're gonna bury another, you know, kind of uh, yeah. player for, right? Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by LinkedIn. Small businesses have unique needs that they do. And despite the current uncertainty, one thing that remains unchanged is the importance of having the right people on your team. If you wanted to go with a transfer window analogy, though the window has now closed, you want to find the right person that fits your needs so that you don't end up getting very negative remarks. Uh, And ideally, that comes from a lot of scouting and in-depth film analysis and making sure you understand everything about the player player before you end up transferring them in and hoping it works. With more normal businesses, you sort of don't have that luxury. You can't really go into somebody else's workplace and observe their employees, scout them and decide, yep, that's the person I need. That's the accountant I want. But you can sort of do that with LinkedIn. When your business is ready to make that next hire, LinkedIn jobs can help by matching your role with qualified candidates so that you can find the right person quickly. You want to find that one right person, and chances are they're in there because there are 690 million members worldwide. LinkedIn is an active community. Uh, When your business is ready to make that next hire, find the right person with LinkedIn jobs. You can pay what you want and get the first $50 off. Just visit linkedin.com slash TSS. Again, that's linkedin.com slash TSS to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions do indeed apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Thank you very much to Credible for sponsoring today's episode. Credible.com is an online marketplace that allows borrowers with student loan debt to see refinancing rates across a variety of lenders. Basically, they've made it easy for anyone with student loan debt to review possible rates, find a lender that works, and refinance those loans to make them more manageable. Some benefits of using Credible to refinance your student loans are that you see actual pre-qualified rates from multiple lenders, whereas with some online marketplaces, you'll get ranges of rates or 
ballpark estimates. And it only takes a couple of minutes to check rates, and checking rates doesn't even impact your credit. You don't want that. You don't want a big credit hit while you're trying to be responsible. They will also never sell your data, so you won't receive spam or phone calls from dozens of lenders. You can visit Credible.com slash TSS. That's C-R-E-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash T-S-S. And when you refinance your student loans via Credible, they'll give you a $200 gift card. Fill in a few pieces of info to check what rates you are eligible for. You can only get this offer through the show's URL. So again, that is Credible.com slash T-S-S. Finance your student loans and start saving. Message from Credible Operations, Inc. Not available in all states. Terms and conditions apply. Visit Credible.com slash T-S-S for details. Thank you very much to Credible for sponsoring today's episode. Now back to the show. What about with the current generation? Are there players in there that you think, again, like sort of follow that model of Josie Altador or that you find particularly captivating for whatever reason? Yeah. You know, it's one thing that I've really been thinking about is that I listened to this um, Men in Blazers um, podcast mm-hmm. on the um, the American fiasco. Did yeah, you hear that? yeah. Um, and one thing that I I thought was really interesting that I actually kind of took on as part of my motivation is like listening to Alexi Lawless and the way that the Americans kind of behaved almost as if kind of like, it's like, Hey, this is our time on the world stage and we're going to do this like the American way. Mm -hmm. Right. And from their perspective, that's like rock and roll, right? It's like, this is who we are and this is like what we're going to represent, right? Um, And I actually thought that was a very kind of like dope thing from the perspective of an American. And when I look at like, what do we need and how do we want these guys to feel and like, what's the future? For me, the future, because I think Alexi Lawless was looking around the room and they were just all listening to rock and roll, right? Um, and so when I'm looking at this team now, like, I guess what I would want from, you know, a a kind of institutional level is like really giving these guys the keys, right. The way that those guys had the keys to be like, Hey, you know, this is the swag this out the way that you want to swag it out. Like, how do you guys want to, you know, represent this country? You know, I think that's as, as American as, as anything, you know? And so, um, obviously you have right now these, uh, some of the, you know, best black players representing, you know, the country, um, you know, internationally McKinney at Juventus and Zach Steffen going to, um, Man City and, um, Dest at Barcelona, Reggie Cannon, Tyler Adams, um, Chris Richards, Timothy Weah, um, you know, Yedlin's only maybe 27 or, or 28. I mean, he's, I think Yedlin's a good example. Like you could say, is he the best player and defender in the Premier League? No. Is he still in the Premier League after however many years? Like, yes, that's Mm -hmm. a a huge accomplishment. So I think, and I also think that, you know, Christian Pulisic, I think his role in this is going to be um, super important, right? I'm curious about um, his personality and basically what, you know, when we're talking about like these national teams, what we're a lot of times when we're talking about what is the identity of this team? Like what's the identity of the Brazilian national team or the German team? Right. Um, and so when we are trying to build a identity for our national team, why not have that come from the cloth of, you know, who's, who's making up the team right now. Right. Um, yeah. 
I'm I'm still stuck on if they're like if it's Alexi telling that story, I'm gonna assume it's hair metal because that seems to be his approach, which okay, I guess okay. loosely counts as rock and roll. But yeah. Okay, I'm wondering yeah. that like I wonder who do you what do you think is like the consensus thing to play in the locker room for the current national team? I'm gonna assume not hair metal. I'm almost I'm almost too old. I you know, I, I imagine that they're probably bumping some Kendrick Lamar and some the baby and something like that. Um but you know, I will say that I've had some recent conversations with Sean Johnson mm-hmm. through um, some of the stuff that we did with the uh, Black Players Coalition. And, you know, he, I don't know how much he's that he would ever say this himself, but like um, him being in some of the camps with these guys previously, I know has been like very important because they have a guy that's still around that is also a goalkeeper. So he has this kind of, you know, leadership me- mentality. He's, the smartest dude in the world. He's the nicest guy in the world. Um, and so I know that he's had a little bit of a, you know, kind of touch on, um, you know, helping these guys to like form, you know? Um, but um, I think it's a tricky thing, right? Because you have, it's hard to put together a team when all of these guys are coming back from situations where um, they're not the star on their team. So it's like, if you are, you know, Weston McKinney, for instance, and you're playing Juventus, like you're coming in there and, you know, you're getting taught the Juventus way, right? Which is probably, it feels a lot like staying in your lane, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you, so if you're playing, you know, on that squad for six months and then you come back to um, the U.S. national team, it's like, how do you then translate into all of a sudden, you know, being this like role player, um, and on a team with Ronaldo and, you know, his team with all his legacy to all of a sudden having to be kind of the leader of your team. And like, yeah. how does a, how does a player process that? I mean, McKinney probably has like his mentality. Actually, when you see him go out every game, he's like, I'm just, that's just, I'm just going to be like that no matter where I'm at, you know? But, um, I think it is, a it's something that is interesting to watch as far as where these guys are playing and how they're going to be, you know, treated where they're, where they're playing. Yeah, we used to we used to talk about that uh, specifically with Christian Pulisic when he would like come back from uh, Dortmund when he was still with Dortmund to the national team. Like they were, they had that friendly in Cuba where it's like there's no fans. You're playing in this sort of dilapidated stadium in Cuba. He's used to every weekend playing in front of like eighty thousand people. How big right. of a difference is that? How do you sort of mentally deal with that level of contrast? I guess with uh, coronavirus and no fans, maybe it's a little bit uh, easier, but simultaneously harder. But that is really, I hadn't really thought about that, about how, how much that could impact things. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that. I'm also interested in how you watch games or like how you, which games you choose to watch, because I think you would sort of own that you're not necessarily watching from a tactics standpoint. You're not sort of right. trying to break that down or anything like that. Like, what are you watching for? Who do you tend to gravitate towards when you're looking at the games on the weekends? So first, what I do is I watch from the cultural perspective, and then I listen to your podcast to like find out what was actually going on. Uh, <laughs> That's but, no um, pressure. All right, cool. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> I think um, th- so. There's we did this video, one of the very like short videos that we did early on, which was called "Why Black Folks Love Arsenal." And if anybody Google's that, they can yeah. find that. Um, and so when I first kind of got into this thing, a few different people independently pulled me aside and was like, yo, 
black people tend to really like Arsenal, especially in in this country. And so we did this video to kind of like trace what are the reasons why, right? And the, the reasons, um, you know, there's a lot of different reasons from, you know, the Invincibles to Terry Henry coming here to play to, you know, a lot of those players coming from different countries in Africa that then kind of took on Arsenal as fans, right? So um, if I'm looking at, for instance, like, you know, Man City, Arsenal coming up this weekend, right? Um, I'm looking at, you know, the fact that they just um, signed, uh, what's that, Partey, is that his name? Yeah, Thomas Partey. Um, and I'm looking at that team right now and saying, okay, you know, they got Pierre, right? They got Willian, right? Um, and, like, what happens if Arsenal goes through this, you know, goes into a run and they become, you know, what if they win the Premier League, right? For me, that's kind of a marketable, you know, um, thing to um, to to reach African Americans with because I can say, hey, here's this club with this huge legacy with all these black dudes that look just like you that are from all over the world, and that's you know an interest point of how you could watch the game, right? Um, and then if I'm watching, looking at Man City, obviously, you know, in the current movement you have uh, Raheem Sterling and kind of like what is his role in this, like. Um, you know, him kind of being the one that spoke up and mm-hmm. what are the dynamics around you know, his family being from Jamaica and, um, you know, how does ha- how does he kind of represent, um, you know, what we think of as like, you know, black American culture, right? Um, if I'm, if I'm what, if I'm like watching a game with someone new and I'm saying, I want you to understand like maybe s- some of the more like, um, in-depth elements of the games that you might not see. I might say, hey, watch this dude, um, De Bruyne, because for me, like, he was one of the first players that I could, I I was just looking at who scores. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, and then watching De Bruyne and and also Pugba, um, getting to see the way that these guys um, pass the ball and move the ball and um, a lot of those things I think is, uh, you know, can be really important as, you know, as far as introducing people new to the game, you know, it's like, hey, this guy's like Jason Kidd, right? Um, <laughs> Wait, which one is like Jason Kidd? Uh, De Bruyne. Okay. De Bruyne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he'll, Pug- he'll go on to be a not Pug- very good coach Lamar then? Iverson. Okay. <laughs> I like. Uh, okay. I like. I like that. I would appreciate if Manchester United figured out how to use him as effectively as the Sixers did. But I like that combination. I think that's a good kind of like connection point, though, right? Because when you think about Iverson when he came in the league, right, and it was all this bogus controversy about him, right? Like um, his tattoos and the way he dressed and all of these type of things. And it's like now the NBA they really embrace that. Now they're like, hey, like, look, get more tattoos. Listen to whatever you want. Like, we're going to buy into that ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think that's kind of one of the dynamics that I want to try to play a role in instituting into, um, you know, into a, a American soccer, which is like, let's, um, you know, kind of legitimize black culture within the, the sport in ways that hasn't been before. Um we're recording this uh, uh, Wednesday, so the international break is like just wrapping up. From that perspective, are there national teams aside from the United States that you tend to find yourself keeping an eye on or you find particularly interesting? Well, before that, I actually wanted to ask you mm. two questions um, because I'm looking at also this um, 
this Everton Liverpool matchup, yeah. right, coming up this weekend. Um, and you have um, Dominic Lewin. Is that how you say his name? Calvert Lewin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's got the hyphenated last name, so you know we we know what he's all about. But um, I'm kind of curious from your perspective, mm-hmm. like with him being young, with him kind of being on this team, like how do you see him fitting into the English national team and kind of like the future of, um, you know, the English soccer? Yeah. I mean, I think it, a lot will depend on if Gareth Southgate kind of sticks with the approach he's used so far with the back three and everything. It seems like it then leads to that one central striker in my mind. And that's probably going to be Harry Kane until he like physically can no longer play soccer. Right. But I think Calvert Lewin ticks a lot of the boxes in terms of a player who can certainly deputize for Harry Kane, but then also probably come in and play with him in a partnership if like they're, they're chasing a, uh, a goal at the end of the game or something like that. But I think he offers uh, like a lot of basically everything that Harry Kane does, except he's, I think, a bit more mobile, but he can sort of drop in and link up play. He he was big on in some of the transitions for England uh, in their, I forget which, which Nations League game it was. It wasn't Denmark, so it was the other one that they played. Um, but I thought he... I thought he was he was pretty solid in that, despite not remembering who they played and having just talked about it on Monday. My brain is mush, um, but I, I think he'll probably be the number two for them for nice. a, a good long while. I would I would think if he continues to perform really well for Everton, and if Harry Kane runs into injury concerns, my guess is maybe he's a little bit higher up in that estimation. Right, right. and so like and then so from my perspective, I would learn that from you kind of more from more of a tactical perspective Mm -hmm. right but then i would ask like based on the like national sentiment of race in england like how is that perspective how is that lens going to um determine the decision making around all right what do we do with harry kane do we hang on for hang on to him for Mm -hmm. you know a, a longer even though he's injured in these type of things or do we try to usher in somebody and kind of groom them for that for these positions right and these are some of the things that i don't necessarily have the answer to you don't necessarily have the answer to but i think um it's it's worth like asking ourselves those questions like from the black perspective right um and i think that's those are some of the lenses that i look at it right on the flip side of that game i'm looking at um Sadio Mane and kind of like what is his role as far as like one of the best players in the world right um one, just me personally doing a lot of research of his, you know, life in Senegal and these type of things, but also just kind of like watching him talk his, you know, he's obviously, um, as a, he's not a, the best communicator, if you will, right? And so how do we um, kind of determine like how important he is or how good he is based on his popularity versus I think that if we're looking at just like tactically and as far as winning games, I think a lot of people would put Sadio Mane as like maybe the top six, seven, right? Um, Where would you rank him as one of the best players in the world? So I promise this is not a cop out and I will try to answer your question. But like I I sort of actively avoid rankings and listings because I think sometimes it lends itself to BSing and sort of like, oh, this guy, you know, he did that, but this guy couldn't do that. And you end up sort of structuring things in a specific way to justify your selections, Um, which is why, like, I don't really, really care about who wins the Ballon d'Or. But with but I will say this, like with Sajamane. 
I think because he plays in a Liverpool team that is so good and has names like Virgil van Dijk and like Mohamed Salah, I think he, for a while, was sort of overlooked and was a like, you know, if you're going with the English media narrative, he's scrappy in pace. Uh, right. Like, I think right, that's right. an easy way to sort of dismiss it. I do think this season there's been more, like, in-depth analysis of what he offers match of the day kind of consistently does a good job of pointing out how like his positioning was excellent here his awareness of what was happening in this sequence was was exceptional and to some extent i think he's become like their most important attacker if not their most celebrated one because like firmino does so much stuff that you wouldn't necessarily notice Mohamed salah obviously does things you would notice and i think sajo mane does a little bit of both so i think he is probably one of the best attackers in the world i would certainly put him on uh pretty much any team i think he could go in and start so that's yeah i'd say i'd say top six is that where you had him so what i'm hearing is james harden Basically, like, you know, he he played on that Thunder team with Durant and Westbrook, mm-hmm. right? And it, people are kind of like, he's good as a number three, but, you know, he's not the star, right? And then you slowly started to see as that team break up, James Harden, you know, kind of take on this, like, new new life mm-hmm. as, a, as a star, as a leader of the team. And then now all of a sudden, you know, he's thought of as one of the top, you know, five or six players in, in basketball, right? So, yeah. Um, I, th- I thought that was just kind of like, you know, going through that live, that's a story that now I can bring back to black folks and be like, let me kind of put into context, you know, a little bit for you, like Sadio Mane's career and like where he's at right now. Mm-hmm. I also like, I think you could maybe, I like the Harden analogy. I also like James Harden because I get compared to him sometimes because of beard length and I'll take it. Right. Uh, <laughs> not so much muscle size. He's got me beat there by a slight yeah. amount. I also think like there, you could probably draw a comparison to N'Golo Kante in my mind a little bit of uh, like, uh, like a player who does a lot, but right. because they're not necessarily always going to be the front and center star, they might not get as much attention. And it's almost like when we talk about N'Golo Kante at his at his peak when he's winning the when he's winning the Premier League and then also winning the World Cup, it's a lot of like he's so smiley, he's such a nice guy, he's so friendly. And right. there is certainly an awareness of how good he is, but I think sometimes it can be difficult to quantify in that way. And so because he doesn't get a lot of that headline the way Pogba does, the way James does. Like, I think you don't get as much coverage about them, so they're not as much of a household name. I think that probably extends to Sadio Mane as well. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's I think that's a unique thing for soccer because I feel like these guys' personalities often are not... Um, they're little, you know, if you're in the NBA and you want to go to the NBA your whole life, like when you get there, you want to, you want to be seen, mm-hmm. you know, but a lot of these guys are, they come from very humble places and also they're making the amount of money where for them, the attention's like, you don't want to be on the billboard. Cause then when you miss a goal, somebody's yeah. going to throw yeah. something at it. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, that makes it. So that's, so are you, then do you find yourself like sticking with those those players week in week out or do you then kind of broaden that and look at like if, if a player like scores a really good goal are you then going to find yourself like reading about them learning about them more and then maybe sticking with them how do you go about kind of broadening your network of players yeah I mean I think um the thing that I've really come to love the most about the sport is like as soon as you start digging into something there's always all these other you know rabbit holes that you can go down you know so anytime I'm watching a game um, you know, I could just kind of pull up any black player on one of the teams and say, all right, this guy's from, um, you know, 
the Congo, but he grew up in, you know, France and what was his life there. And, you know, I go into these guys' Instagram and kind of see, you know, how, where they're living and what they're, what they're like. So, um, you know, I, I try as much to the best way to explain it is kind of take away the competitive side of the sport because I think that's what the media talks about enough. Um, and if you're only talking about who's the best and who's like who's winning the games, then you're kind of limiting the amount of stories, right? And so some of the most interesting things actually even in England are happening on you know some of the smaller teams and um, the players from there. So um, it's that's that's the that's the great thing about it is that black folks are global, and you know at any given day I'm thinking about the MLS and USL and Syria and um, England and kind of like um, each one of those takes on a new kind of like dynamic um, as far as how do you understand and, and what's going on. This episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Manscaped. If you are feeling overly hairy in certain areas, then Manscaped is for you. The Manscaped engineering team just perfected the greatest hair trimmer ever created, the Lawnmower 3.0, designed specifically for your bathing suit parts. We keep it PG on the show. The premium Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts. Always a very good thing when we're talking about delicates. Nothing that increases Nixer cuts should be on the market. We always want that reduced. You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver, which is a deodorant, and a Crop Reviver, which is a toning spray. Both are super practical and smell great, too. For a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package kit, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. It's a whole bunch of stuff in there. It's all going to do you good, especially those boxer briefs, because the waistband is super elastic to reduce chafing and rubbing. Plus, when your significant other sees you, they're going to know that you're taking care of everything, you're keeping everything under control, a good vibe to send. You can get 20% off and free shipping with the code TSS20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code TSS20. From your moose to the caboose, always use the right tools for the job. Thank you to Manscaped for sponsoring today's episode, but they are not alone. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach, Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. 
So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you to Roman for sponsoring today's episode of the Total Soccer Show. Talking about erectile dysfunction is not easy. The prevailing approach appears to be to just brush it off or blame ourselves, saying things like, I lost my mojo, again, if we're Austin Powers, or avoiding it altogether with excuses like I had a long day at work. Uh, With Roman, it is easy to talk about it, and it's easy to talk about it with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. That's ideal. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan if medication is appropriate. Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping, also good. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Third good. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash TSS and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. You can complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash TSS today. Uh, if approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash TSS. One more time, GetRoman.com dot com slash tss thank you once again very much to roman for sponsoring this episode now back to aaron delores this episode is brought to you by Michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive nba prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an nba game and more head over to michelob slash courtside to learn more I wanted to, let's talk about MLS and USL for a sec, uh, because yeah. first I wanted to uh, talk about uh, Black Players for Change. I know you were involved since you were the one that introduced us to, to the organization. <laughs> um, how involved were you with it? And like, were you down there for the MLS's back tournament? Like, wh- what were you sort of a, a part of and how was that whole process uh, early on? Yeah, so, you know, that came about after, um, you know, the death of George Floyd one thing that just really started happening all across the board is like a lot of the um, black folks in soccer, you know, before even like talking and preaching really just started touching base with each other um, to check in of like, Hey, like, how are you doing? Like, what are, what are we going to do about it? And um, I think what a lot of people found was like, there hadn't been a whole lot of like comparing notes, if you will, like what, what is your experience been like? What's my experience been like? And, um, so <clears throat> I actually started talking with like Mark McKenzie and, um, Aaron West and, you know, this, um, kind of group just like grew to a bunch of like other players, um, MLS players that I had, you know, known or maybe followed us on Instagram before, but, you know, we had never fully taken the time to just kind of sit down and break bread. So, um, you know, for me, it was kind of like I created the brand to really be there for that moment. Um, and, you know, uh, Jaleel, um, who plays for um, Tennessee, um, has really been like a supporter of Black Arrow and, um, you know, really always kind of gone out of his way to like help us like lift the brand up. Um, and they were planning their demonstration in Orlando. Um, and through the conversation of this kind of um, WhatsApp group that we started, he said, hey, why don't you guys come out and, um, you know, film kind of our story because we want we wanted to tell it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was um, it was really, you know, I would say like 
one of the most, um, you know, inspirational kind of, you know, you, when you feel like you're on the right track, um, you know, moments of, of my brand and of our brand and like everything that we're doing to kind of like be there for those guys in that moment. But then there's like the bubble and how do you get in? And so, um, you know, the MLS really, we were the only like at that time media outlet that was um, allowed in besides ESPN. Um, and so we worked with um, the MLS and the black players to get um, <clears throat> one of our, our new hosts of our new show, um, Ime, and he, he's actually a videographer as well. So they said, hey, you, you get one um, press pass. So um, we sent we sent Ime and he went in there and, um, you know, conducted the interviews with the the players and um you know it turned out to be i think a, a really important project you know cnn picked it up and they showed it at um halftime of the mls's cutback tournament um and so yeah i mean it's it was great i would say the best thing about it is like just getting to connect with the different black players within the mls because they're all so different they're also unique you know you got um kai kai kamara and mark mckenzie and um you know these guys come from kendall watson these guys come from all over the world um and you know even they they see this concept of they're all experiencing this thing from their own lens right you know you're talking to kendall watson one day about you know, being from Costa Rica and, and what's his perception of this. And at another time, you're talking to Bill Hamid about, you know, um, they're, you know, they're united in, in their experiences, but they're completely different in, in every which way. And so um, it's, it's just great to see that. And I feel like as Americans, you know, in Major League Soccer, it, there's um, and Jeremy. I know you had him on the show, and yeah. Justin, and these guys. It's like, wow, wow like who better to have, um, you know, leading these mo- the, the, this movement within soccer in America, than than these guys, right? Because also, they're they're not out for revenge. They're not out for they're not out for blood. You know, they're they're basically like, we just want to make things better. That's it. We don't want anything more than anybody else. We just want to like correct, we don't, you know, correct what's happened. So, I feel like, um, you know, that's the, the that, that's the coolest thing about them. You know, when they when they sort of shared their notes when they talked about the commonalities of their experience, what were the sort of sort of unifying things or the consistent points across some of those conversations? Because I, I guess yeah. like the, uh, I'm aware that this is coming from a white dude. I mostly I'm wondering like like w- was it a sort of like man this happened to me? Oh yeah, that happened to me. Was it almost like an airing of grievances that they hadn't yet shared or was it sort of a deeper understanding of like oh yeah, we have like a similar background? Yeah, no. It's yeah, I think the first thing is like <clears throat> and this is natural to soccer, so it's not just something that black people experience in soccer, but there's when you're playing the sport, you're very much a commodity, right? Like again, back to the NBA, like there's there's only two people in the whole world that are built like um, LeBron James, right? You you can't replace him and just go find another guy that's like that, right? And then also in other sports, um, you know, if you're dropping 25 a night in the NBA, like you're good. It's pretty clear what you're 
role is and how what you bring what value you bring to the team whereas in soccer this is much more nuanced right you are a left back right you're a midfielder and it's like okay um how well did you do and who's deciding how well you did and whose fault was that and you know um so i think first just to kind of as that with the kind of the background i I think a lot of the black players felt like even more than other players they were kind of treated like commodities or um you know cut from teams or um treated unfairly by the um like by the media but on the flip side every one of these guys is you know raised in this country to never feel sorry for themselves so leading up to this moment it was kind of like all right cool let's not just go on the podcast and and talk about it because honestly we're not we, we're not here to feel sorry for ourselves um it's more let's get together just kind of you know collect our notes about what we've all been going through within the game and also i think um they did an amazing job of like making it clear that their position was not just about soccer really is much more about how them as soccer players can, um, you know, institute change in the communities and, and really making it be about the social movement and not just about, you know, soccer. So yeah, I think it was, um, comparing notes and kind of getting, getting to know each other better and saying like, um, you know, here's what I've been through. Here's what you've been through. You know, sometimes I, I've even heard conversations where they were like, you know, they both had found like a certain coach or a certain team, like, um, didn't treat black people right. Right. But then just as many times they'd be like, Oh, like, Oh, you played there too. Like, so did I, like, they really, they treat brothers good over there. Like we like it over there, you know? So, um, it was really just kind of, um, you know, comparing notes on, on those type of experiences. And then just, I think, naturally asking themselves, like, um, what can and should we do? Like, how can we make an impact? Because at the end of the day, then no one's there to just, like, complain. They're just trying to, I think some of the solutions or some of the um, things that have been learned from some of the past social movements is like just yelling and screaming is not going to like actually institute change. Right. So the black players coalition is, you know, their, their approach is to kind of find out what, what guys in their organization are interested in as far as like social impact and pairing these guys with you know, nonprofits and other entities that are actually doing this work so that they can create their impact through there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry, go ahead. Did that answer your question? Yeah, no, no, it definitely did. Okay. Uh, I just didn't want to interrupt you. <laughs> I did also want to ask about the kind of spread of the movement, because I know there was like some communication with, I think, the NBA, maybe with the NFL, but now it seems like it's also spread to the USL, to the Women's League, at least in England as well, to the, the Premier League as well. How much sort of interaction has there been, do you think, between all those different organizations? Yeah, so um, first of all, let me shout out the USL because um, we just created a partnership with the um, with the USL, and with that, we are working directly with their Black Players Alliance. And so, again, you know, f- such an amazing thing for me for within just the first few years it, to be, you know, working with the Black Players of the MLS to, you know, also working with the Black Players of the USL. Um, those guys are very connected. A lot of guys obviously are coming up and down between the USL and the, the MLS um, through the group that we created. There was a lot of like communication with guys 
um, you know, over over in England as well. Um, so, you know, I've connected with um, Troy Townsend from Kick It Out um, and Leon Mann, which is from the football blacklist in England. Anyone could look it up. It's like an award show that they do every year for all the, the black footballers. And so um, there, there was definitely a lot of conversations around, um, you know, what needs to happen in England because the perspective is essentially like, we're much more progressive here in the United States. And also black people here are much more, um, believe it or not, like um, foundational in American history. Whereas the experience of black people in England is very much an immigrant experience. Um, and so that kind of changes the the dynamic. And so um, it's, it's, it's a little bit harder for, you know, the, um, the English players to kind of do some of the things that, um, you know, these guys are doing here in the U S without like really pissing people off, even though like what these guys are doing is there's nothing adversarial about it. Right. But, um, so, you know, what we tried to do is just like offer as much support and guidance to the folks in England, um, as far as like, um, communicating to them what we're doing, what, you know, what's, what's, what's working and, um, you know, sharing that, that knowledge, you know, with, with the understanding that they're, they're kind of dealing with, you know, you're a very different person when you're Raheem Sterling, you're much, you might be more insulated. You have more on the line Your your family's from, um, Kingston, right. You, you know, you, you play a different role in that society. So, um, yeah, I think, um, some of you know, I, I saw the the black women have created um, you know their their organization. Some of the coaches are getting together in um, in England and, and you know starting to build that you know coalition. So um, everybody's in interconnected in kind of a tangential way, and you know, kind of um, we're all kind of working on working on this together. When you talk about it sort of being like an issue in England, I do think that there's that meme of like how Americans see the English and it's a whole bunch of dudes in like three, three piece suits. And then it's how the rest of the world sees them. And it's like drunk people in a street. I think like, it's easy to forget that those issues exist. And then I think are exacerbated by the press in England and the way they sort of cover the national team and black players in that country, Raheem Sterling, especially the U S I feel like to some extent benefits from not having that much press scrutiny, but I am still wondering then, do you see some of that, do you see that coverage here as well? Do you see like the way Raheem Sterling is, is, you know, he gets a tattoo and suddenly that's a front page story about like, what's wrong with footballers today? You wouldn't really write that about Harry Maguire, let's say. Uh, like, do you see some of that over here? Or do you think generally speaking, the U.S. media when it comes to soccer is at least a little bit better in that regard? Yeah, definitely a lot better. You know, I think Josie Altador and those guys probably got it a little bit um, you know, more than the, like the new generation, you know what I mean? Um, I think if I were to make corrections as far as the U S media, I would say it's more just, um, you know, stories that are important to black players and about black players are just kind of often overlooked. Um, you know, there, there's definitely, um, and, and I think the scrutiny maybe sometimes happens at the technical side of the game, which I'm not as like connected to, which is like, how do the coaches and the trainers and these guys perceive it is like a big part of it. Um, you know, so, 
Um, and obviously it depends on like what media outlet that you're, you're talking about, because even like you said, like you have a lot of American media outlets that rather talk about England. Right. So, um, I definitely would say that it's better. And within England, you just have very, like I said, different dynamics. You have Raheem Sterling who plays for the English national team. You have Rashford, right. But then you have guys like, um, Sadio Mane who are, not from there Mm. right and so it's like when you're not from a country and all these things are happening politically in the country right it's like how do you you know how do you really know even enough to kind of voice you know to step up as the leader right you know what i mean it's like if if you go to belgium tomorrow you're not gonna be like hey guys you know what are we doing here you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) I, uh-huh. That is correct. I, I will not. I will probably not do that if I go to Belgium. Um, I want to stay in the U.S. Uh, I want to talk a little bit USL, but I don't want to take yes. up too much of your time. But you no, all please. do have that partnership. You mentioned it. What sorts of stories are you hoping to tell? What sort of awareness are you all hoping to create within that league? Yeah, leagues, so, I should say. Um, you know, really excited about this, especially since it's like our first, you know, we have a partnership with, um, you know, AS Roma with um, LA Galaxy. This is our first partnership from the league level. Um, and so, you know, it kind of started from just like doing a little bit more research on the league and trying to find out like, what are the stories? What are, what makes the league special? You know what I mean? And, and to a certain degree, um, one, you know, meeting with the Black Players Alliance in the USL um, and kind of talking to them first about like, what are the stories that you guys want to tell? What are the things that you guys are seeing? That's kind of like when I, if I'm ever critical of like the media, anytime I'm put in the position to then be the media, I'm going to like do what I, you know, know should be done, which is like, let me not just make the story up. Let me talk to these guys because they've really been in the trenches of that. Um, so a lot of it is them coming forward with their, their stories of like, Hey, here's interesting things that these guys um, have been doing, um, to, I think like the uniqueness of the USL is really that, um, you know, you have these clubs in, um, parts of uh, this company, uh, of this country that they play really important roles in their communities. I'm imagining the Richard, uh, Richmond kickers, they come up a lot, um, you have um, the new team in Birmingham. You have a team in Louisville and Charleston and Charlotte. Um, and so as someone from the coast looking at, you know, the USL, it, it's been um, I'm excited because I'm like, as a fan, I haven't really and as a black man, I haven't really put as much thought into like what's happening in Louisville, what's happening in St. Louis. Um, and specifically in the USL, you have teams that um, really represent those those cities. Um, and so uh, one of the, the stories that we're um, going to be focusing on, and this is going to be dropping um, in a few days, um, which is about the new team in um, Birmingham and how um, they created a partnership with the, um, the civil rights institution in, um, in Birmingham and kind of like, you know, I think we all need a little bit of like refresher of like our history lessons a little bit, right? So it's like putting into context, um, you know, the city of Birmingham and the role that it played in the civil rights movement and Martin Luther King's letter from Birmingham jail and, you know, then when you see this partnership between the Birmingham, um, 
the 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 Legion FC and the civil rights institution of them kind of connecting and coming together to say, hey, how can we, um, you know, as a grassroots um, soccer team and as a civil rights institution, how can and should we be working together, right? And so they did. Um, a jersey collaboration for their home opener and they sold all the jerseys for auctions right and so that's a very exciting kind of like um you know for me that's that's kind of like what i got into this for it's like it's not to like bring black people aside and say we need our own lane no it's more like how do we actually you know connect these institutions right um and so you know from, from that perspective also it's kind of like it's really just the start of a conversation, which is, um, you know, now that we are communicating together and, and talking um, and getting to know each other, that's what opens up all the great things that, you know, can happen over the next 10 or 15 years, right? Not doing that alone is not going to, you know, change the, uh, change the world, right? But them working together um, really can. And there's interesting things, right? You have, there's a lot of players on that team from Ghana, and so they're Imagine you are from, um, as a player from Japan, as a player from Brazil. So imagine you're from one of these countries and you're coming to play in Birmingham, Alabama, right? And so it's like, <laughs> what are you now learning about American history in this moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think those are some of the really kind of powerful um, stories. And, um, you know, I would <clears throat> kind of wrap that up by also saying that um, the and the MLS guys are like this as well. I think the USL guys are even more kind of connected to their communities just because they're not playing at the highest level. So they're, you know, in the restaurants and the rec centers and on the streets, like really kind of integrating in these communities in um, in, in in interesting ways, right? So um, wanting to kind of like bring forward like their stories of who they are as people. Um, rather than just kind of like saying, hey, here's, you know, here's why you should care about him because he scored eight goals last year. Like, um, I don't think that's necessarily the story. Right. Um, So we are bringing those bringing those stories to to life, you know, is 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 what the partnership is about. Uh, Final question for you. I asked about how you watch soccer. I asked about how you think about soccer. Uh, Aside from listening to our podcast, uh, who do you go to to read more, to learn more about soccer? Uh, Or if like if it's easier, who are some of the like people you think are doing particularly innovative things when it comes to soccer? Yeah. um, uh, So a trick answer is actually from the podcast, your podcast. um, I learned about David Goldblatt. Oh yeah, um, and so I'm. I have his book right here, "The Age of Football," um, and because this is a very, very thick book, um, very kind of like written like a history book, I wanted to kind of go online and listen to some of his lectures. And I would suggest that anyone else do the same. He has an amazing lecture on um, like Brazil and how they kind of used soccer to kind of form their national identity in the 1950s. Um, so. You know, David Goldblatt is like, this is who I want to be in like, you know, 40 years. <laughs> you know Me what too. I mean? When you're like, all right, let's, you know, let's let's burn down Babylon and, you know, um, really just like document a lot of the, the history. You know, he's very like straightforward and blunt about um, some of the things that are happening around the, wor- the world from a both like negative and positive, um, you know, perspective. So I think he's he's one. Um 
one of my favorites, and he's also like um, someone that I kind of grew up with, which is Kalen Carr mm-hmm. um, in in the MLS. Um, the first big MLS match that I ever went to was when he was playing for Houston, and they played um, LA Galaxy in the um, in the MLS Cup. Um, he he scored uh, he scored a goal in that game, and then really hurt his knee. Um, but he's um, a commentator for the for the MLS, and he also has his show called The Movement. Um, and if anybody hasn't seen that, I would highly suggest. Like if you go to the, the MLS's YouTube, you know, there's 20, 30 episodes of um, Kalen kind of looking at the game from a cultural perspective. Um, a lot of similar as like um, Black Arrow, and um, you know, there's the he, he's kind of been someone that. Um, I always like look to, especially with his knowledge of like, as a player, as a media personality. He's also something that I know that a lot of the players in the MLS, like they really, it's like you want to talk to Kalen because you played with him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, we Kalen don't really Crawford get that so much. much. <laughs> <laughs> you should, you should though. You should. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Yeah, maybe one day, maybe one day, maybe maybe forty years from now, when you're the new David Goldblatt, we can we can get that role. But for now, we'll, we'll stick with what we got, and we appreciate you taking the time, Aaron. Thank you again for talking about all things soccer for over an hour. I appreciate it. I know you got a lot going on, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time. But last thing I'll ask is, if people want to hear more about you or learn more about Black Arrow, how can they do that? Yeah, so Black Arrow FC on any platform, on Instagram, Twitter, website. Um, If you do my shorthand version of punching in Black Arrow into Google, you will get photos of Black Arrows. That's not useful. Black Arrow FC is the important part there. Yeah. And that's why it's there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so just Google that and and you'll find us. I think Instagram is kind of the best way to see a lot of the different projects and kind of I think a lot of people that come to our Instagram page kind of see soccer and like how we approach it from a cultural like landscape. So yeah, man. That's what I would suggest. There you go. All right, Aaron, I appreciate it, man. Thank you again. All right, man. My pleasure. Thank you.